you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to be going, and then also John chapter 1. So you'll need to find those two passages. Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to start, and then we're going to go over to John chapter 1. We have been in a series called Average. How many of you would like to be average? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Most of us would say, you know what, we like to be a little bit more than average, right? I was reading a story this week, and it just, it made me laugh in my office, so I figured I'd share it with you just because really it has no spiritual value except that these guys, was try, they were trying to be motivated by their boss. Their boss said, okay, we need to be more than average, so he starts trying to motivate, and he is in the dog food business, the dog food business, and so what he was doing is he got his sales team together, and then he brought all the sales team together, and as he begins to motivate them, he asked, who has the best dog food in the industry? We do. They are all chanting, yes, and he's starting to rile them up, and they're getting excited, and then he goes, okay, who has the best marketing in the dog food industry? We do, and I mean, everybody's just getting excited. They're getting pumped up, and then they ask, he asks another question, who has the best, best sales team in the industry? We do, and they're all excited, and now they're cheering, and they're clapping, and then the boss does this. Then why are we 17th in the industry? And one of the guys looked around, and he said, the dogs just won't eat our food, boss. <laughs> Trying to motivate beyond <laughs> average. I just loved it. Because if you've ever been a boss or had to be over people, you know that that's sometimes just the mentality. And that's, it just made me laugh this week. So uh, average. We want to be more than average. And that's why we're looking at this series. We're looking at normal men that God called, that Jesus called to walk with him, to be his disciples. And they all started off, let's just be honest, as average men. Just average, ordinary, normal guys. But after walking with Jesus for just a few short years, after spending time with Jesus, they all radically follow him. So much so that in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that these men turned the world upside down. Isn't that an amazing statement? If God can use 11 men who are willing to completely sell out, even though they're average, to turn the world upside down, what would he do with us? What could he do? That's an amazing question, isn't it? Well, today we're gonna to be talking about two people. We're gonna be talking about Philip, and we're gonna be talking about Bartholomew. Now, let me give you a quick introduction just to make sure we're all on the same page as you found Matthew chapter 10, and then also John chapter one. We've spent time on... Over the last few weeks, we spent time on Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and we've, we spent a whole week just talking about each one of those individually. And from here on out, we're going to actually start combining some of the disciples because they get, there's less and less information that we begin to know about them. Philip, what we do know about him is that his name is actually a Greek name. Now, he is a Jew, and many during this time period would actually have not only a Jewish name, but he would also, they might even have a Greek name. They were called the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews that have not only taken the Jewish culture, but they embraced the Greek culture as well. And you'll hear about that throughout the rest of the New Testament. His name means lover of horses. Anybody like horses in here? All right, very good. So you would fit right in with Philip. Now, we don't know if he ever owned a horse, so don't say that I don't walk out of here saying, pastor says Philip owned a horse. I don't know if he did. He might have had a donkey. He might not have had horses at all, but his name means lover of horse, okay? So that's what he means. And then also what we know is this, is that Philip comes from the Galilee area, and later on we're gonna know and find out that he also does some fishing as well, and so he's within the fishing business. 
The next guy is named Bartholomew. Out of all the list, here's what you know, and here's what we have. There's four lists of the disciples, and it, the list goes like this. Peter, James, and John, and then Andrew as well are is included in the top four. And then the next four starts off with Philip. Every time he's in the number five slot, and then the sixth slot is his friend, his long-term friend, Bartholomew. Now, the problem with Bartholomew is this, is that his name's listed, but we never find him in the scriptures. We don't find him in the gospels and we don't find him anywhere else. And so here's what we have. Bartholomew actually means son of Tomai. That's what his name actually means. Bar, B-A-R, is son of Tomai. And so here's what, here's what most scholars agree and this is where I land. I'm depending on very smart people, not myself. So this is not Heath, this is very smart people. I'm just taking the study and the, the research and this is what I, I believe. I believe that what you're gonna find in John is actually Nathaniel, I believe Nathaniel is actually Bartholomew. So it's Nathaniel, son of Tomai. All right, so that's what you'll find if you go to even most of your, your study Bibles. We even say that right there very quickly. If you go into much scholarly, that's usually how they connect these two because Nathan and Philip are actually close friends and Philip and Bartholomew are always listed right in line together as friends. And so that's how... Where they start making the connection. So today we're going to be talking about Philip, and then we're also going to be talking about Nathaniel, son of Tomai, Bartholomew. All right, does that make sense? Okay, if you have your Bibles, please stand for the reading of God's word as we jump into it today. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and here's what the Bible says. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. That's where we'll stop. Let's pray for the reading of God's word. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for the chance to be able to come into your presence. Thank you for being able to celebrate with our believers, our family in Christ. The simple fact that, Jesus, you died on the cross, we want to say thank you, that you rose again, and that now you're in heaven making intercession for us, and we want to say thank you. Today, I pray that as we've sang, as we've worshiped, God, it's been a pleasing sound to you. And God, now as we walk into your word, Father, I pray that you would help us. Where our faith is weak, I pray that you'd give us strength. God, where we may be our skeptics and critics and not really fully trusting and believing. God, I pray that you would move and work in our hearts so that, Father, today when we walk out of this place, we will have known we've met with you and we'll have the courage to apply to our lives what we've heard. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. All right, so here we go. Let's flip on over to John chapter one and we're gonna be introduced to Philip for the first time and then we're gonna be introduced to his good friend as well. So go ahead and flip over to John chapter one and let's get started. Verse 43, here's what we're gonna find. We're gonna find the call. Now in your bulletins today, um, just for for fun, we actually put in the bulletin, we put a little bit of a... um, notes, a place for notes. We actually put somewhat of an outline so that way you can follow along and you can fill in blanks where you need to. All right. So we're talking about the call of now Philip. Verse 43, the Bible says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now stop right there. The Bible is very clear. Who found Philip? Jesus found Philip. 
This is an amazing point because in just a moment, you're gonna actually see Philip say this. I found Jesus. I found the Messiah. Now here's something we need to make sure we all are clear about. On one side of the coin, it's Jesus who actually does the seeking and the saving because that's his mission. He is the one who actually moves in your life. He's the one who actually draws you through the Holy Spirit. It's him working in your life to actually bring you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's him. He came, he found. And this is the first place that we actually find that Jesus goes out of his way to find Philip. He goes out of his way to find somebody. Isn't that amazing? Because before this point, the disciples that are following Peter, Andrew, James, and John have all been pointed to Jesus by either John the Baptist or one of their friends. But Jesus goes out of his way here to find Philip. I love this because for me, for you, Jesus had a plan for Philip. Philip was really, let's, say, let's be honest, he's a nobody. He's off, off to the side. He wasn't a high um, affluence person. He didn't have a, high, a, a lot of influence in the community. Yet Jesus goes out of his way to find Philip. And I love the simple fact that Jesus knows who you are, where you're at, even what you're capable of. And Jesus goes out of his way to find Philip. This is fantastic news for each one of us here today. Because if you are alive, which you are because you're here, if you are alive, here's what it means. That God not only knows who you are, he knows where you're at, and he even knows where you're at in your personal walk with God. Maybe you are with him, maybe you're outside. Maybe you're just kind of backing away, but he knows where you're at, and he knows exactly what you need. Jesus came to Philip. Some of you might even be going, you know what, Heath? That's not how it worked for me. You know, I'm the one who was driving by church one day and I said, you know what, I probably need to go to that building. Over the last month, we've had, I've had four different people actually tell me, we were just driving by the church, driving by the church, and we thought, you know what, we probably need to go to church. So see, Heath, it's really me deciding that I needed to get up and that I needed to get ready and I needed to go. Or I've had somebody else say, you know, we were just talking and we had this, we had a baby and we thought, you know, it's probably time that we get back in church because we have a baby. We want our child to know about God. We just decided, or, you know, I was just in my hotel room and there was a Bible and I just started reading the Bible. I don't know why, but I just started reading it. Can I just help you out? That wasn't you just doing it on your own. That was the Holy Spirit moving in your life, drawing you saying you need something more in your life. You're not here by accident. <laughs> it's a divine setup. He, he set you up. God is wanting to work in your life and God is wanting to do something. And he's drawing you and putting you in a place where you're ready to hear, where you're ready to meet him. Now, on your side, I agree. On your side, it does look like you found him. But on his side, he was the bloodhound of heaven, as Charles Spurgeon said, chasing after you. Where you were at, you were lost. He came and he sought you, he found you, and he brought him to himself. Isn't that a great, that's such a, I love that truth. Okay, so here we go, enough there. Philip says, and Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And immediately Philip goes. There's no other discussion. There's no other, well, let me see. I'm not for sure. There's no other discussion. Philip immediately jumps in and says, okay, I'm ready. I'll tell you why he does that in just a minute. Now look, 
Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So here's what we know. The city was small. There's only one synagogue. So there's a great chance that when they would go to the synagogue, who would he see? Peter and Andrew. They knew each other. In fact, they were even in the fishing business. In John chapter 21, after Jesus raises again, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Guess who goes with him? Philip. So Philip's in the fishing business. Philip knows him. They've grown up together. They've worshiped together as younger, at least men, kids. We don't know how far back it goes, but there's a little bit of a history here. And so here's what he does. He finds Philip. Philip is introduced to Jesus in verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael. Isn't it interesting? As soon as somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, what's the first thing they have to do? They have to share it. They have to share it. And they don't even know what they're supposed to say. They don't even know all the arguments. They just know that they have to go share it with somebody. We do this when we find something good. You find something really good, like, you know, a great sale. Hey, you need to get to the mall. You need to find the sale. Hey, they had right now, they have a great sale on a round of golf if you go over here to this country club. Really? And all of a sudden, we start telling people whatever is something good, we tell them, don't we? We even start talking about, hey, if something's really good like the Cowboys, well, wait, can't really say that, right? They won against the championship, and then the, uh, the champions last year, and then last week, they fell apart. So maybe after today, we could say they're doing well. Maybe. We'll see. But we have to talk about it, don't we? We have to share. And it's interesting how a new believer will do it so easily and so quickly. And yet, sometimes we struggle as we've gone along with Jesus just a little while, huh? We kind of just forget about it. And here's Philip. He immediately goes. Now, watch how he shares with his friend. You know your friend, and you know exactly what your friend needs, right? You know how your friend needs to be approached. And Philip comes to Nathaniel, and here's what he says. He says, Nathaniel, we have found him. <laughs> we found Jesus. We found the one whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. We found him. This is the one we've been studying about. This is the one we've been researching. This is the one we've been looking at the details for. This is the one we've been trying to see. Is there a possibility that he has come? Is he coming? When is he coming? We've been looking at the research. We've been studying this together, friend. This is the one we've been working for. This is the one. Nathaniel says, okay, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I love that. Now, I, here's, here's the point. He's from Cana. Cana's not a better city than Nazareth. Matter of fact, Nazareth's like actually on the trade routes. Cana's, if anything, was a lesser city. So there might be some city rivalry going on. It's almost like us having a little bit of prejudice against, you know, people from Arkansas. Can anything good come out of Arkansas? I don't know. I'm a Texan. In my mind, there's nothing good comes out of Arkansas. Now, I used to say Oklahoma until I found my wife. <laughs> Can't say that anymore. I'm in trouble, all right? So, so his, it's this prejudice, this rivalry. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm not for sure. I, I'm really not for sure. And let's be honest. For us, we all come with prejudice, don't we? Well, I don't know if I could listen to a, you know, I don't know if I could listen to a, a country boy preach. I don't know. That's just kind of, I don't know if I can trust him. Well, I don't know. I don't know if, you know what, he doesn't have that degree or he doesn't have this. There's always some kind of prejudice, isn't there? 
when we start talking about Jesus, and your friends have it the same way. When you start talking about Jesus, they have this prejudice. You know what? I grew up in, I grew up in church. I already know all of that. And there's a prejudice against what happened in their past, right? And here's Nathaniel. He says, I don't know. Maybe my friend, Philip, maybe you've missed it. And really, if you could say this, Nathaniel's more of a skeptic. I don't think that that could happen. I don't know if you know all the details. I don't think you've actually looked at this enough because I don't believe that this could actually be the one. The Messiah? No. A good person? Sure. As a skeptic, I need more information because this doesn't quite fit to actually say he's from Nazareth and he's the Messiah. Do you see it? You ever shared Christ and you have your friend who's actually pushing back and saying, no, I don't think that can be the case. Pushback, just an immediate pushback. No, that can't be. You don't know. You haven't thought about everything. So Philip does something crazy. Philip says to him, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. No, Philip does what? Just come and see. Just come, come, come with me and check out this man and then make your own determination. That is the best way to approach a skeptic. Lee Strobel, several years ago, was a, 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 a journalist. He wrote for many different organizations and he was a renowned atheist. And in his quest of writing, he decided that he was going to debunk and show how Christianity was completely off and com- completely wrong and that Jesus Christ was somebody you shouldn't really follow. And so he begins, as an atheist, to study the scriptures and to study and to study, and he begins to write. And you know what happens? He not only does he trust Jesus Christ, he now writes a book called A Case for <laughs> Faith, A Case for Jesus Christ. He starts writing books, defending and showing This is real. Why? Because when, as a skeptic, you actually come in full search, wanting to know, desiring to understand the truth, what's amazing is that Jesus actually meets you where you're at. Watch what happens. Come and see. Just come. Just come. So Philip brings Nathaniel. So Nathan begins to come, verse 47. And Jesus says something astonishing. Jesus says this about Nathaniel, behold, here comes an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Can you imagine that kind of a compliment? Here comes somebody who's authentically trust, uh, authentically desiring and searching and trying to live out the best way possible. He's trying to be a good person. He's authentic about it. He's not being fake. He's not just trying to be religious. He's really trying to know God. That's a major statement, isn't it? Because at this point, he's not actually a true follower yet, is he? If anything, he's a skeptic saying, this can't be the Messiah. This is not the one. And Jesus makes a profound statement. And now watch what happens. Nathaniel says to him, hey, wait a minute. How do you know me? Are you buttering me up? (laughs) I love it. You don't know me, so how can you say anything good about me? That's a fair statement, isn't it? Especially if you're coming as a skeptic saying you're from Nazareth. I mean, you're really from Arkansas. You know, uh, There can't be anything good about you. You can't be the prophet. You can't be a Messiah. So how are you talking positive about me? You don't know me. Maybe you're just trying to manipulate me and maybe you manipulated my friend. Are you you feeling it? You see it? Now watch what happens. Jesus does something amazing here. Jesus answers and says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Now, this is profound because in this moment, here's what we have happening. Philip goes and finds his friend and his friend is sitting out underneath the shade tree of a fig tree, which was very common. The houses would get warm, so you'd sit outside under the shade tree to actually find coolness. And he's not just sitting outside drinking his sweet tea. Elijah was doing that. Just kidding. This, is, this guy's not doing it. By the way, just time out. After we talked about Elijah drinking his sweet tea, the staff went out and they found um, for the coffee bar, they now have tea, sweet tea, and peach tea. Holy cow. It was a godsend. I mean, it's just been a blessing all week. We've had that going. So if you're interested and you need some tea in the morning, just go ahead and go by. It's right there for you in the coffee bar. Check it out. They might even give you a free one just because I said that. They might even give you a free one just to taste it because, man, it is good stuff. Okay, back back to the Bible. (laughs) Sorry, that was a sidetrack. Okay, Um, where are we? Okay, he's under the fig tree. He's not drinking, he's not drinking the sweet tea. That's where I got off. He's, he's not under just, just out there setting. And here's why we know that. Here's why we know. Because watch what Jesus' response is. Jesus says this. Our, Philip's, our Nathaniel's response is, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What changed? What happened here? Something profound. Jesus just spoke directly to him about something going on. Most scholars believe, and here's what I, I, would, I would lean here to, because of his quick response, going from a skeptic, now going to, absolutely, you are the rabbi, you are the Lord, you are the king, you are the Messiah. His quick return, here's what he's, they believe, that Nathaniel was sitting outside under his tree, searching the scriptures, interacting with God, trying to find God, trying to know who he is. And Jesus said, the one you're trying to know the one you were searching the scriptures for, that's me. And I saw you and I was in that moment where you were just at and I was right there. And it caused Nathaniel to go, I'm in the presence of God. Nobody else knew what was going on at that time. I love the fact that my God, that my Jesus knows what I say in private when nobody else knows what's going on in my heart. He knows me. And Jesus says this, just because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Oh, buddy, if that's all it took for you, get ready, because it's about, your, your mind is about to be blown. It's gonna get better than this. It's gonna get so much better than this. You're gonna see greater things than this. And then after this point, that's all we know of Nathaniel. That's all we know of Bartholomew, that's it. But we do know a few more times of Philip. And here's what I want to show you. I, now you're going to have to start flipping your Bibles because we're going to go very quickly. Here's what we know about Philip. Philip trusts God, but there's a couple things that happen in his life. He has some barriers that he has to overcome and that he has to walk through in order for his faith to be full-on, radical, willing to follow, willing to follow Jesus at whatever cost. So here's the question that we're going to walk through in just, just now with Philip. Can Jesus take a man who trusts who does have faith, but yet doesn't have a faith really ready to fully believe God. Can God take and use somebody like that? The answer is yes, watch. John chapter six, we'll flip over here very quickly. You know this passage, you know this story. We've talked about it even before as we talked about with Andrew. And we talked about the feeding of 5,000. Here's what happens. Philip gets sidetracked in his faith. 
comes off of Jesus and he begins to focus on the details. Now watch what happens. There's a lot of people coming. Verse five, lift up your eyes and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to do what? To test him. For he himself, Jesus already knew what he was gonna do. Jesus is committed to breaking the barriers in your life that's hindering your faith from growing. Mark it down, understand it. He knows and he knows what's stopping your faith and he's willing to break it down. So he turns to Philip, he says, Philip, there's a lot of people coming, literally thousands and thousands, 5,000 men plus women plus children, they're coming. Philip, how are we gonna buy bread for them? Why did he ask Philip? Because Philip automatically already had calculated all of the way, well, there's a big need. I don't know how we're gonna get there. Philip already understood the details. He knew what it was gonna cost and he actually gives a very quick assessment. Hey, even if we had 200 days wages, we couldn't pay for all the food. There's not enough bread in the town. Philip had all the answers. Were they right? Were they right? Were the facts right? Yes, the facts were absolutely right. And what I love about Jesus is that he knows that we need people who focus on the facts and the figures. We need that. And we need people who are in the middle of the details. But if you are a detailed person, please hear this. Facts and figures are a poor substitute for faith in the one who's standing before Philip right now. It's a poor substitute. And what Jesus wanted to do, he said, Philip, you see all the things, you see all the, 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 the impossibilities, but Philip, I need your faith to grow beyond the possibilities. So Philip answers and he says, there's no way, we can't do it. What would have been better for Philip to say? Let me just help you, ready? It would have been better. It would have been better for Philip to say, here's all the details, all the facts, because that's his personality, right? Let him say all the facts. And then to finish off by saying this, although it looks impossible to me, Jesus, you're God. You can do whatever you want to do. That would have been the proper response. And here's what we do so often in our lives. Let's, let's not get too hard on Philip because we do this over and over again, don't we? In our lives, we start looking at all the details of our marriage. We start looking at the details of our finances. We start looking at the details of our lives. And we start saying, you know what? This looks impossible. And we start focusing on the details and we miss that God is saying, trust me now with the details. Man, we could preach that for a long time, couldn't we? And he misses Jesus. And Andrew comes in and says, hey, I have something. If Philip would have continued just a little further, he could have actually seen Jesus do even more through his life. But he stops with facts and figures and the details, and he never fully turns and says, but you can do something. Let me show you something else. Here goes Philip again. Go over to chapter, let's go from six. Let's go over to chapter 12. John chapter 12. Here's the next blank. Philip, one of the barriers that he had in his faith was not only focusing on the details, but he also does this. He focuses on the opinion of others. Here's what happens in John chapter 12. Go down to verse 20 and here's what the Bible says. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip. Why did they come to Philip? Because Philip actually had a Greek name. So it made sense to go to Philip because he has a Greek name. Okay, let's just go to him. He could probably help us. 
who was from Bethsaida in, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, here's what we know. Philip had the ability to probably go right to Jesus and not have to stop at Andrew. We could say it's protocol. We can say it's a reason. That's why he stopped, and that's why he didn't bring everybody there. We could say that. And if that's where you want to land, that's okay. But I want to show you where I land after looking at this passage. I began by looking at the context and what's been going on in the months previous. Here's what we know. If you go back to John chapter 11, John chapter 11, we find Lazarus dies. And when Lazarus dies, Jesus now says, I need to go down to see our friend. And they have a discussion. Jesus, you really don't need to be going to Jerusalem because they're gonna kill you if you get down near Jerusalem. And Jesus says, no, I need to go. And then Thomas says, well, if he's gonna go and he's gonna die, then we must go and we, we must be ready to die. So the disciples knew that the, the, the rising animosity towards Jesus was getting to the point that Jesus was ready to be killed. The religious leaders wanted to get rid of him. Jesus goes down, he heals and raises Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine what was going on in the city at that point? If they didn't like Jesus now, at that point, they really don't like him at this, raising somebody from the dead. Go to chapter 11. Jesus raises him from the dead. Go down to verse 45, and you start following through the next few verses there in 45. What now you find is this, that the religious leaders began to plot against Jesus to kill him. Then you move into John chapter 12, they begin to plot to kill who? Lazarus. He's too big of a witness. We gotta get rid of him. Then verse 12 of chapter 12, you find the triumphal entry where Jesus begins to, he comes into Jerusalem and he's riding on a donkey and people are waving the palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're, they're laying down and the kids are, are running through the streets singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Automatically, the religious leaders say, this guy has got to be killed. He's gotta be done away with. You get to now Philip, who's thought about details, who understands consequences, who reads very well, understanding, hey, there's Greeks who want to talk to Jesus. This is not really a good thing. Why? Because Greeks were considered outsiders. They were never allowed to come into the synagogue. They only could stay on the outer court, but the Jews, they could come into the inner courts. And if the religious leaders now see Jesus on top of his triumphal entry, seeing the Jew, the Gentiles coming, this could cause major problems. So Philip is concerned about what's going on. And here's where I would drive the biggest point. Watch how Jesus responds because I think this helps solidify that he's concerned about his life and he's concerned about what other people think. Jesus answers, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's a pretty hard teaching, isn't it? You want to keep your life? Go ahead, keep it. But if you really want to follow me, you need to lose your life and stop caring about what other people think and actually start serving me. That's heavy, isn't it? So often, that's where we stop. We are excited to follow God. 
We're excited to talk about him, and all of a sudden, somebody pushes back just a little bit, and we get concerned about what other people think, and we stop following full on. We'll just follow just a little bit, but we stop with a full heart. Let me give you one last thing. Go over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking. He's giving some new teachings to his disciples, and he's talking about who he is. He's making sure that they clearly understand that Jesus is God. You look down in verse 6. Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, you have known my Father also. For now on you do you... From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus just stops and he's helping the disciples understand, hey, I am the father. I am God. I am God in the flesh. You've walked with me. You've talked with me. You've interacted with me. I, Jesus, am God. It's a profound statement, isn't it? And then Philip does this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough. What's Philip's barrier here? The need for more evidence. I just need to know a little bit more. I just need to know a little bit more before I can actually fully follow you, Jesus. I need a little bit more evidence. I just need to know for sure. And look at Jesus' response. Philip, have I been with you so long you still don't know me? You still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you demand to see more evidence? How can you demand to see more? And here's what happens in our lives. You can be in a Christian environment for years and miss Jesus. You can grow up in a Christian home and miss Jesus. You can actually go to church for years and years and years and miss Jesus. You can be around the truth, but never have embraced the truth. Matter of fact, you can even go to Bible college, a Christian school, and you're around all the facts and all the details. But if you never actually move into a point of knowing him, you've missed him completely. You see, the quest for knowledge is not just to gain knowledge. When you study, when you read, when you interact, what should happen is this. And for any of you who are are really diving into books, it should cause you to do this. When you get into truth and you begin to study, what it should do, it should be an act of worship. When you come face to face with a new truth, it should cause you to fall on your knees and worship God at a deeper level. But if you're doing an academic study and that's all you do, you will miss Jesus every time. And Jesus says, Philip, you've walked with me, you traveled with me. And I can't help but say there's probably some in this room who have come to church and have been in Christian environments over and over in years and years, and you've missed Jesus. Oh, how sad to be so close. And Philip, he has trusted, he has known but he still misses because he just needs more detail and he's not satisfied with just saying, I just see Jesus. He is God. He misses it all. So here's the question and here's how we'll wrap up. Did Philip ever break through these barriers? I can say, yes, he did. Here's how I know. Because after Jesus dies and he does go fishing with Peter, 
Jesus comes, restores Peter. They are all at Pentecost. And then from Pentecost on, he begins to travel and he begins to preach. And his good friend, Nathaniel, travels with him. And they go north into Asia Minor. And as they go north into Asia Minor, they begin to, to spread and teach and start new, school, uh, start new churches. And as they start new churches, then the persecution begins to rise. And here's what we know about Peter, I mean, Philip. We know that from all the historical accounts, he was martyred some eight years after James. So he's the second martyr of the disciples. Some said that he was crucified. Others said that he was stoned to death. More accounts say he was stoned to death. So we'll kind of lean that way. But he gave his life. Nathaniel somehow escapes. And Nathaniel goes on into Persia and goes over into northern India. And there he starts church after church, spreads the gospel, and by most accounts, the way he dies is they tied him into a sack and tossed him into the sea. They both were willing to give their lives. Moving from skeptic to sold out follower. Moving from one who struggles to see God in the midst of details, the one who struggles to see what God can do in the midst of others' opinions a person who struggles to see God, I just need more evidence. Now here's my question and here's how we end. As the musicians begin to come out, here's the question. What's stopping or what's hindering your faith from growing? What is it? I just need more evidence. Everything looks impossible when I see it. What's stopping you? Because here's what I know. Jesus is radically committed to breaking down those barriers in your life. He'll use suffering, he'll use pain, he'll use friends, he'll use people, he will use church, he will use people to walk you through this. He will use something. And here's the response. The response is this, I need you more, I want you more, and God, you can do whatever you want in my life because I just want to see you more. That's the response. 